Welcome to Rabbitohs TV. My name is Grant Chappell. I'm joined by three former Rabbitohs. Dan Brown, Steve Maven, host of 1170 SEN. Jimmy Smith, Rabbitoh player number 932. Welcome to Rabbitohs TV, Jimmy. Ah, thank you, boys. I'm very privileged to be asked to, to join you. I've, uh, I've seen what you guys have been doing over, over the last period of time. Been excellent. So uh, well done on that. No, no, we're big fans of yours, Jimmy. Don't worry about that, mate. Now, um, where are you from and what was it like growing up there? Mate, I'm a bush boy. Um, I grew up in the Riverina just outside the town of Cootamundra um, uh, on a farm. So, um, you know, I, I, I had... Um, what I think was the most idyllic um, childhood. It was awesome. I, I, um, you know, I got to work on a farm with my dad. Um, you know, I'd go to work, you know, every day with him sort of thing after school and um, always something to do on a farm and um, spent my, uh, spent my childhood doing that. Absolutely loved it. Had three older sisters, so no brothers. So then when I got the opportunity to go to um, a boarding school and uh, went to St. Greg's at Campbelltown and you just got to hang out with your mates and play sport all the time. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. So uh, um, yeah, that's a bit of my background. Played for the Cooter Bulldogs, the um, the home team of a few ex-NRL guys, Les Boyd, probably the most famous of them. Uh, Paul Field played State of Origin, Andrew Willis, Mark Bryant. Um, yeah, there's a few guys kicked on from Cooter. Hey, did you come down that? I've got fun memories. Come down the big so, sorry, just before we move on, I've got great memories of Cootamundra. I'm a botany boy, grew up in the city, but our trip away with Banks Meadow School every year was to Cootamundra and we'd stay on a farm and we'd, uh, the boys would be in the barn and the girls would be in the cottages. And yeah, just, just what you described. It was, I'll never forget the times spent out there, you know, fishing for yabbies and, and just, um, yeah, the, the bush life. Who's, um, whose farm was it, do you know, Mago? I wouldn't be able to tell you, mate, because you know I'm a bit old now to remember that. So I never knew. I never knew then, but it, it would be good to go back and find out because, you know, well, I think I went two or three times, and you know, you'd have a uh, you pick a partner, one of your mates, and you'd team up, and you know, it was it was, it was great times. But yeah, like so, okay, so chaps was just about to ask you, how did you end up from the bush down in the in in um, some great big smoke and into the big yeah, smoke. well. Um, so my dad went to St. Greg's. It was an agricultural college. So it then, you know, after he had left, it then became this rugby league powerhouse. So I was always going there because dad went there and, you know, I was sort of going to go back to the farm and then ended up playing footy down there. We had a really strong side um, the year that I played. I think we had, of the, the 17 guys that played in the Commonwealth Bank Cup final, we had 14 of them play grade. And five of them play NRL. So um, Johnny Minto, former Rabbit, um, yep. he's a he was in that side. Jason Taylor, Russell Wire, Paul Quinn. Um, uh, yeah, we our, um, yeah we had a, we had a strong side. We won the Commonwealth Bank Cup, and then from that point, you know, the the teams just sort of were able to identify you, and they, you know, I spoke to Western Suburbs Magpies. I had a chat with um, Peter Bullfrog Moore at at the Bulldogs, but he's um, he never sent mum flowers, so I don't know how keen on he was <laughs> of recruiting me. So um, I ended up with the Roosters because I was going to be living in the area, and um, I, w I went with my dad, who was my manager at the time. No one had managers back in those days, did they, boys? So um, we went up there, and um, Barry Van Heckeren, who's uh, the late Barry Van Heckeren, was taking us to meet the legendary Ron Jones, who was 
boss of the league's club and boss of the footy club. He, he'd done an amazing job in turning around the Roosters. And anyway, Barry Van Hecker and the whole the whole time get saying, oh, we, you know, Mr. Jones and Mr. Jones. And he, he likes being called Mr. Jones. And um, so when dad walks in there, he says, g'day, Ron. <laughs> I thought, oh, come on, dad. You've, it's not the right way to start a negotiation. But anyway, he was a pretty... Uh, you know, straightforward bush fella. And um, we ended up getting a very small deal done. And that's how I ended up at the Roosters. Mate, yeah. uh, we, won't, we won't touch too much on the Roosters because it is Rabbitohs <laughs> TV here, Jimmy. But um, mate, uh, you spent a couple of years at the Roosters and you you came across to the strength of the NRL in terms of the Rabbitohs. How did you end up at the Rabbitohs? Well, I actually had a year at the, the Magpies yes. Brownie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I got sacked by Tommy Radonikus. Um <laughs> Anyway, uh, I, I kept being reminded of that Jack Gibson quote, you know, you, you can't have a square peg in a round hole. And I didn't know whether I was the square peg or the round hole, but um, I think I think our mate <laughs> Langers was pretty heavily involved in me not being there the following year. Uh, yes. So anyway, I got sacked by Tommy. And, and to be honest, boys, it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And, and I mean that from, um, I got to kick up the backside. You know, I, I hadn't, I hadn't been preparing myself physically the way I should have. Um, it was a real eye-opener for me. Um, I very nearly just went home and went on to the farm. And um, and then I, I made contact with a bloke you know very well, and that's Shawnee Garlic, who I'd played with at the Roosters. And I said, Garlo, any chance I might be able to come and do a trial at the Rabbits? And he said, yeah, 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 come down, come down. Steve Martin, Steve Martin's a coach. He's... So I ended up going back down. And I remember the boys had done about, three or four weeks of pre-season training and I came off just being on the farm and um, my God, I've never been in so much pain that first week of pre-season that was Scotty Campbell was the head uh, trainer and um, oh, we just got flogged a lot of running at Urco and um, I was, I was in pain for a week, but I um, uh, got the opportunity to sign on for a, a contract there at the Rabbitohs and, and literally had the most enjoyable couple of years playing footy there Um yeah, really, really loved it. Well, you played every game that year, so you must have impressed in your train and trial there, Jim. You played all 24 games and then backed it up with 23 the year after, I'm pretty sure. So, um, yeah, you missed, must have impressed, mate. I, I missed one game in the two years I was at South, and that um, I had a very serious neck injury for the last game. So, I missed that last game against Parramatta Eels at, at Parramatta in 99. And, oh. and, of course, we all know what happened after that, but... Yeah, I, I, I ended up, yeah, I did, I played every game and, um, you know, um, when Steve, Steve Martin was very challenging as a coach, um, I didn't respond to the way he, um, he coached the side and so many of the guys didn't. I know Matty Parsons who, Matty Parsons had a tough 1998, he had a, a couple of injuries and he did, he just didn't respond to, um, to Steve Martin's style of coaching. But then when Tugger took over, and, you know, a lot of people have their own opinions on Tug and uh, I love him. I, I, I love him. He was, as a coach, he was a bloke who just filled you with confidence. You know, he'd say, oh, mate, you can do this. And, or he'd say, yeah, mate, mate, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, and you do this, and you do this. And, and Jim, when you do this, you do this. And it, it was like, it was, um, it was fantastic for me. And, and Matty Parsons was the same. And like, Matty Parsons in 1999, he was the Dalian prop of the year. He was... Yeah. He was absolutely outstanding. Yeah. And we just we just responded much better to, to the way Tugger coached the group than um, than Steve Martin. And you know, I, I think there was the opportunity Tugger might have been coached a bit earlier, but anyway, that's that's the way things go. 
Mm. What was it like for that time, like being in a club that, by the time you signed on in 98, the writing was on the wall, the, you know, we all sort of were looking at, to move move South out of the competition. It was a 24-month battle there and we ended up losing that battle. Uh, what was it like being a player? Uh, we, did you talk about it much as a group or, or individually were you going home talking to your families about it, how the, well, this club's going to be punted out of the competition? You know, it, was, it would have been a strange feeling. Chaps, we were completely unaware of it, mate. You, you know, you sort of, they talk about living in a bubble, you know, you sort of, especially from my point of view, you know, you sort of, you're almost just surviving, right? You just go, as long as I get picked in the side next week, that's all I care about. Um, it wasn't until a bit later, perhaps later in 99, when um, the group came in and started taking out, we had a bit of on-field success and then we had these sponsors just kept turning up, Downtown Duty Free and RSL Com, which was a, a, a telco that, that got him board, on board. And there was a lot of positive things happening around the club. And then, and then it stopped. And then we started to hear all the rhetoric about criteria, criteria, criteria. And it's like, oh, hang on, criteria, that doesn't sound good. And, and the criteria that they're mentioning and, and South Sydney's going to struggle. And, and to think about it now, like without without the benefit of, of, of having a few more life experiences at that time, I, I'm sure there would have been people even outside of South Sydney supporters, certainly outside of rugby league, who would have been looking at that and thinking the South Sydney Rabbitoh is an identifiable brand around the country, potentially around the globe, but around the country. Why on earth would you exclude that from a competition? Now, it, you set up a criteria and you set up, to get the result you want. And, and we all know that's how it played out. But as, as, as far as brand equity goes, um, and they've shown it over the last 15, 15 years, like you could argue it's, it's in the top five strongest sports brands in this country comfortably. Um, oh, yeah. And to see, it kicked out, to see it kicked out at that time is, you know, at, looking at it now, at the time I thought, oh, yeah, we're under pressure. Looking at it now, it's like, that's crazy. Yeah. We had an interview with Andrew Denton um, a little bit earlier in the year, mate, and he brought up a good point. He said, you know, rugby league is about stories, you know what I mean? And, and sport, all sports are about stories. And when the NRL decided to kick out the North Sydney Bears in 1998, um, they, they lost that story that the Bears hadn't won since 1923. Imagine, yeah. imagine in the last 10 years if the Bears had a won. Mm. Or if they had a won next year on the 100-year anniversary, they lost that story, the NRL, and they decided to move them on and kick them out. So uh, it's a good, a good point you bring up about branding, mate. I'm glad they didn't kick out the bunnies because 2014 wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they did. And the, the, the great strength of George Piggins is that he just doesn't take no for an answer. And the, the resilience that he showed as a player and the resilience that he showed as a coach is the resilience that he showed as an administrator. And, you know, there's, there's things that George did that probably, you know, a lot of people didn't agree with that I thought could have been done differently. But you can't take anything away from the resilience and the determination of the bloke. And, and without him, literally without him, South Sydney would not exist. Well, yes, sir, mate. Now, were you always a prop? Because I saw you made your debut as a prop. Did you grow up as a front rower? Because front rowers aren't supposed to be well-spoken media or personalities. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I'm sure you've had him on, but I'm, I bet you Mark Carroll would disagree with that. Big spot, uh-huh. Lee, so. yeah, yeah, no, I'll rest my case. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Not <laughs> not <laughs> yeah. Um, no, mate. I, I, when I was playing um, junior footy, I was a lock. 
and then I was the second rower, and and then I, I I played a few games in the front row, and I wasn't big enough to be in the front row, and and I mean I, I look at it today and just think, holy Toledo, how do they do that? But um, yeah, I, I was more back rower. The the problem with me is I had the athleticism. Well, actually, there's probably front rowers with much better athleticism. I wasn't very fast. I wasn't very strong. <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot going for me athletically, but um. I was, I was a trier. I, you know, I, I, I had a bit of determination about me, and I think that was my greatest attribute. Yeah, right. Jimmy, you, you scored a, a number of tries, and, and we ask all our guests, do you remember your first try that you actually scored for the Mighty South Sydney Rabbitohs? Yeah, I reckon it was a game against the Newcastle Knights. Um, it was this little play that um, Galo had out of dummy half, and... So he'd run out of dummy half, right on the line. He'd run out of dummy half and turn it back on the inside. And um, it was against Newcastle. And and I I think Spud must have been off the field because it was usually Spud's run. <laughs> and it, it, and if Rubes was on the field, he probably refused to run it because it yeah. just didn't suit him at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I said, right, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have a run at this. And I ended up... Um, spinning out of a tackle and ended up scoring a try of all of about a metre and a half. But um, it was one of those little set plays that Tugger had for us and um, we put it on. We absolutely flogged Newcastle that day. Just just on that, Joey Johns wasn't playing. So, <laughs> mate, that, that was the game. That was the game, Brandy. 99, we were travelling really well. We are in the top eight the whole way. We were top five at one point. And then Tricky... Tricky Trindle got suspended mm. for a head-high tackle on Peter Shields in that game. Yeah. Peter Shields is six foot eight, and Tricky's about five foot six. And they they asked him for, I think he was out for six weeks. And from that point on, we just we just struggled without him. He's um, yeah, we really missed him, and, and we missed the semi-finals that year. But um, yeah, that was my first try. Yeah. Now I'm going to take you back to 2006. The Russell Crowe Sevens. What are your memories of that trip that I played with you and Galo and um, <laughs> Ross Harrington? And uh, oh, there was a few legends on there. Freddie Fittler, the Guru, uh, Cliffy Lyons. It was a star-studded lineup. And then me and you were, me and Jimmy Smith and Roscoe Harrington were in there. <laughs> I, I, I room with Paul McGregor. It was just ridiculous, you know. It was, um, yeah, no, it, that, that was great. And I think, um, you know, even like talking to you blokes now and, um, achievements is one thing, right? But mateship is is the glue. And, and you know, I've still got guys that I speak to that, you know, I, I went to school with and I, I played footy with and, you know, that I played cricket with. And, and doing things like that, those um, Aurora Valley Axemen, I know there was a great... There was a great night at the Plantation Hotel where I was narrowly beaten in a dance-off by Robbie O'Davis. I, I say narrowly beaten... Um, Rob, Robbie thinks it was a hiding, but um, you know that's that's that had nothing to do with footy. That's just fun, and and that's just getting with um, like-minded people, and, and even getting with people who aren't don't think the same way as you, and and having some time together. I, I love that stuff, Mavo. Yeah, mate. But the highlight for me was when we went to Russell Crowe's farm and we drove down to the his cricket nets, and here's Steve War in the nets. We're having a bowl to Steve War. Yeah, and then I said, to, I said to Clippy Lyons, "You're gonna have a bowl to Steve War." He goes, "Yeah, I'll have a bowl." Bowls him out first ball. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, good memories of that. That's trip. right, Jimmy. I just, think um, was I think Jeff Crow was there too. Was Jeff Crow there? He's 
He's a former captain of New Zealand. Was it Martin Crow? Oh, no, sorry, Martin. Yeah, Martin. Martin. Yeah, yeah. Not Jeff. Jeff's his brother, yeah. Yeah. Jimmy, just further to to what you were saying about achievements in the game, and I was once told by a smart man, it's not what you get out of the game, it's the people you meet. And uh, obviously, you, you get friends for life through this great game of rugby league. And, and I was fortunate enough to play with uh, yourself over in the UK. What are your memories of uh, coming over to Salford and uh, spending a couple of years there? Mate, I love Salford, Brownie. And, and I, I remember when I, I got onto a plane, um, you know, you don't, you basically don't know anyone. I'm getting, I'm getting on this plane, you know, you, you dropped off at the airport, mum and dad. And it was a Saturday afternoon and, for those people who might be listening or watching that remember the ABC show, The Bill, um, yeah. it was on on a Saturday night. And mum and dad generally used to watch it. My sister used to watch it as well. Anyway, the episode that, that was on that night was at, set at Salford. Yeah. Right? And, and, and so my sister rings up mum and dad and she says, put on The Bill, put on The Bill. The, the, you know, this is where, this is where Jimmy's going. You, you know, we, we'll get an idea of where he's going. So they put it on in the, first scene the bloke's walking out of his house and the car bomb goes off so, yeah. <laughs> so mum and dad said my god where have we sent him um but we used to go to the winding streets and go to the willows which was the home ground and it had a bit of club to it you drive past these houses and all the windows are boarded up and it is a very very they say manchester is the toughest city in england and salford was the toughest area of manchester and um we lived just up the road at, at um Victoria Road, which you know well, Brownie, and yeah. uh, it was it was only a couple of hundred meters from from the ground at Salford, and um, I we I had I had a year over there. Um, I ended up living with uh, a couple of Aussie blokes, Jason Weber and um, Chris um, uh, Chris Tassel, and Jace Nickel lived up the road. Um, you were there, Brownie. We had Martin Off here in the side. Um, I just had a fantastic time. And, and as we used to say about halfway through the year, and this is sort of a, I guess, a reflection on English rugby league at the time, but also more of a reflection of my commitment to it, is that we used to, Webby and I used to laugh about the fact that we're on a backpacking tour that, and rugby league just happened to get in the way of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, oh. That's a bit like when we were there, Brownie, same sort of thing. It was a like a bit of a working holiday, but... Mate, I always thought you were brilliant on the big sports breakfast and you were my choice to take over when, you know, TK and everyone moved on. But obviously oh, that might have happened for a little while, but you've ended up at SEN. So take us back. How did you end up in the media and then you progressed into SEN radio? Yeah, mate, though, I, um, when I went to England, um, I used to get on well with a bloke from 2 where you know, Jimmy Dolan. He was a reporter and, you know, um, over here and, when he found out I was going to England, he rang me up and said, "Mate, we've just lost our UK correspondent. Would you like to? Would you like to be the UK correspondent for the Continuous Call team?" I said, "Yeah, I'd love to. That'd be great." Anyway, I, was, I had to ring Hadley, so I ring Ray Hadley, and he goes, "Right, I will give you fifty bucks a go, and you got to do this and you got to do that." And I said, "Oh, awesome, thanks, love to do it." So, mate, the first the first three weeks we were living in our place at Victoria Road, we didn't have the phone on. It takes B, takes BT and I had to get up at 6am on a Saturday morning to, to get a just before 6pm Saturday afternoon phone call into um, the continuous call team. I had to walk to a phone box, put some money in 
ring Jimmy Dolan on the switch and say, Jimmy, can you ring me back on his number? Um, so anyway, I, I did that for the, for a year. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, when I came back, I myself and a, and a couple of mates, we did a radio for a couple of years on a uh, radio show for on Monday nights on Bondi FM. Bondi FM was all this psychedelic music 24-7, except for two hours on a Monday night when we do this sports show. Cooper um, Silk on that one? Cooper Silk and Bush and that? Yeah, so that's that's where uh, Coops and Cooper Silk and uh, who else was involved in it? But th- they came later to, to Bondi FM and they, they were doing stuff um, at that point. So um, that's how I started. And then 2SM were kicking off and um, a bloke said to me, oh, you do you want to have a go here? And I, I said, yeah, I, to be honest, um, and this is probably getting a little off topic, but first couple of years after I finished playing footy, I, I kicked around and did a few different things and I was a bit lost, to be honest. Like I, I missed that. And, and a lot of people talk about it now and, and looking back on it now, it's exactly the same for me. I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I had a really strong work ethic and a determination, but I, I, I missed that structure of footy and, you know, be here, do this, and these are the outcomes you'll get. I, I really miss that. And and you had that at school too, right? Hey, you have to turn up here. You have to do this. Um, so when you're self-determining all that, it's – yeah, I was a bit lost. I did a heap of different jobs and worked in film industry and restaurants and um, ended up getting this gig at 2SM and just loved it, really, really enjoyed. I think radio is a really, really great medium. It's – um. You could probably call it radio audio now, but it's it's such a um, it's such a strong medium in that it just maintains. People love listening to stuff, and that's a you know you can do it when you're driving along, and you can do it when you're doing other activities at home, and um, you know the rise and rise of podcasting and all that sort of stuff is is no real surprise. It's a it's a great medium radio, and and I just really love doing it. Well, I always I you found that. your niche, mate. You found yeah. your niche, mate, for sure, mate. And this interview is brought to you by Daryl Lee Chocolate. By the way, we didn't mention that at the top of the show, but... but Jimmy, I always <laughs> thought that we needed, Australia or Sydney needed a 24-hour sports channel. And there's yes, been a couple yes. of at it before. I know ESPN Radio in the US and the US have got it, but I just think SEN is filling a void that wasn't there before. And how's it all going? Yeah, maybe it's a, it's a really interesting point. It's going great. We're, we're really, really happy with it. And, um, you know, uh, doing the afternoon show there and... Uh, got a great cast of people that, that help out with that so it's 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 really exciting there's so much of a challenge though the australia is so unique um i think you're quite right about a sydney needing a, a sports radio channel um but the challenge the, the challenge is this so in america for example i mean forget about the fact that it's 15 times larger than australia right so you multiply everything by 15 but you don't multiply the cost base by 15 necessarily right you uh, and, and the other thing about it is in America, they play NFL all around America. They play baseball in every state in America. They play ice hockey pretty much every state in America. Uh, and they certainly play basketball all around that. So it lends itself to a national focus. Mm. But for, for sport in this country, the two dominant sports are the NRL and the AFL. Um, take cricket aside because that's at a different stage of the year. Um, and they're such different sports. They're divided geographically. They're divided philosophically. They, they, there's almost like a, um, 
a dis-ease with the way that we look at AFL people and AFL people look at us. So, yeah. that the, you know, what, what Macquarie Radio tried to do with, oh, we'll do programming that goes into, um, you know, both markets, Melbourne and Sydney. It doesn't work. Like, because the, the Sydney people are going to say, well, you talk too much AFL. And the Melbourne people are going to say, well, you talk too much NRL. You can't satisfy them. You've got to keep them separate. And that's what SEN's done. Done it very deliberately. You know, you can have a guy like Cameron Smith who's, hey, he's, he's massive in Queensland. We know that. But he's, he's also big in New South Wales. People like to know what Cameron Smith's going to have to say. And, and that's the balance that SEN struck. And I think that's what um, you know, people are, are uh, enjoying listening to. And Brownie, you were on the other night with Joel and Fletch, and I've been on with Chris Warren a number of times. So we've been uh, making a few cameos on the on the network. <laughs> Brownie, you enjoyed that the other day with uh, Fletch. Yeah, it was. It was a great chat with uh, with Fletch and Joel, and uh, it's great to get on there and talk a bit of footy, and more importantly, you know, the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And uh, we we've got Fletch and Joel and the likes of Jimmy and um, and Chris Warren to thank for that, and uh, they're a big supporter of what we're doing. And like you just said, Mavo, we're a big supporter of what they're doing. And Jimmy, I'll, I'll just go back to Jimmy. I won't talk up the other shows, but I've got to talk up Jimmy's show. I listened to an interview you did the other day with Tom Berry, outstanding, mate. Um, it struck a little bit of a chord with me at times, didn't it? Um, he, he had a bit of a, a tragic uh, accident in the family. His brother passed away in a horse racing um, incident overseas and, and just some of the depths of despair that he got to, mate. Well done, Jimmy. That was a great interview, mate. Yeah, chaps, that was... Um... Thank you. I, I, I can't take much of the credit. All must go to Tommy. Um, and because of his ability to open up like that, you know, that a lot he, he of people... He led straight have... into it, Jimmy. Did you know he was going to go straight into that sort of mental health side of things straight away? So what happened was it was on behalf of a, a sponsor partner. Um, and then we, 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 we sort of, because of November, Movember, we made that a, a focus of this, this month. And we wanted to do an interview a week where an athlete has shown resilience. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd known the Tommy Berry story for quite some time. It was completely tragic that his twin brother passed away in the circumstances in which he did. I, remember, I, went, to the, um, I went to the funeral and they had a, a so reception at um, Rose Hill Racecourse at the time. And uh, I remember seeing Bjorn Baker and Bjorn's a, a Kiwi, so he's a tight ass and um, he's, he's a character. <laughs> Um, he's, a, he's a highly intelligent fella and he loves his racing. Um, and, and Nathan had, I'm trying to think of the name of the horse that won the Magic Millions for him. Um, and it was Bjorn was the trainer and, and Nathan had, had ridden the winner. And, and, and obviously there's a relationship there between trainer and jockey and, and, and not just on that one horse. Mate, Bjorn was in, absolutely devastated, sobbing openly. And I, and I just thought, yeah, this is, this is tragic. This young man is has left us at such a young age. And so that was the impact on Bjorn. What was the impact on his twin brother? Like, and, yeah. and Tommy, Tommy was able to, to get to that straight away the other day. And um, I've never had an interview that we've done over the 12 months that we've been on air that has elicited the response that we got either across social yeah. media or, or by the text messages where, you know, chaps, I think we can all identify that. I was just talking about the time that I was, you know, a bit lost after playing footy. And, and I won't say that, hey, I had depression or anything of like that, but I was I was lost, you know. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And and that was sort of a foreign thing for me. But 
when when something is as significant and as as impactful as as losing your twin brother happens and tommy said you know he said i used to spend 12 hours a day with him mm. and and then it was just gone and it was just it was such a shock to him and um and to him to be able to discuss it and discuss it so eloquently it was it was amazing and and for those interviews like that like you ask a question you get out of the way um and and tom was tom was amazing and um you know it was a privilege to have him share that with the listeners on um on tuesday this week well it struck a chord when um i think he spoke about how the first year after it he had a great year one nine group ones and all that like professionally it was going really well but he was really distant with his family he turned to drinking a lot and he wasn't a big drinker and he was on the phone a lot. And he just was distant from his family. Even his mother who, and father who just lost uh, a boy felt like they lost two boys because he sort of, he blocked them out. I thought to myself, yeah, that, that's, that's, that happened to me a few years ago with a friend of mine who passed away. And, you know, I sort of buried my head in my phone and I probably wasn't being a great dad and I turned to drinking and it struck a call with me. I appreciate that interview, man. And I encourage yeah. anyone to go out and have a listen to it. Download the app. Um, yes. and jump on Jimmy's show in the afternoon yeah. and have a listen to that podcast outstanding yeah. and Tommy's just wrote a real uh, a big winner over the carnival I can't remember which race it was you might have covered that with him but yeah so he's, he's definitely bounced back and um, yeah it is, that was so devastating because Nathan was a, an elite rider too so it was just uh, yes. such, a, such a sad story but and just I was just thinking like we both do the same thing we love doing our interviews and we feel like we've done some good ones and You've done the same, so it's an enjoyable thing to speak to people about their sto- and tell their stories in this way, isn't it? It's it's um, yeah, it's a privilege. And and I was looking at um, I was talking to Ray Thomas the other day. So Ray and I used to do the Sunday show, and um, he's just one of nature's gentlemen. You know, he's he's such a such a nice fella, um, a very genuine fella. And you know, because he because he has that trust of the people who speak to him. Ray gets, Ray gets people to say things to him that they would say to no one else. Um, and they know that he's going to handle that with care. And I think that's really important. You know, you're not out to make a headline. You're not out to, uh, you know, exploit what he said in any way. And you have to be really careful around that. But when you get someone like Tommy, like he did the other day to tell the story and he doesn't tell, he just tells it matter of factly. And he tells it from the point of view of, I think this could be of benefit to people and, and that's his, that's mm. his genuine motivation. Then um, I think that becomes really clear and um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is, it's one of those privileges and you, you just ask a question and you get out of the way. Yeah, true. Before we let you go, what does Jimmy Smith like to do outside of being a, a star broadcaster and ex uh, rugby league player? Uh, uh, um I, I, I get no more joy than spending time with my family. Um, I really, I know it's very cliched and, um, you know, I, I like doing lots of stuff, but, but hanging out with my kids, you know, they, they make me laugh. They make me laugh. They're, I'll give you an example. So, um, and this is, uh, there's a guy named Chris Bagg. He used to work at the NRL and, uh, he set up a. He, he left work. He wasn't being fulfilled in what he was doing, and he and he set up this um, charity, Pass It On Clothing. So now every Tuesday night he goes to Martin Place. He's got it all lined out. It's all in bags in the back of his truck, and he gives out um, clothing to the homeless. Um, and he does it at Parramatta on a Wednesday, and he does it on the Central Coast on a Thursday with Nick Butner. And he's he's cultivated this incredible charity um, to give, just give, give, give. 
and he's making other people pay for it. He's making corporations and and all that to be a part of the giving. They're, they're, he's saying, right, well, you got to pay for it, which is which is brilliant. Um, and I, I've been made aware of the stuff that he does, and and I just felt that my my kids, you know, I, you blokes you blokes know what it was like. I grew up on a farm, mate. You didn't when you get a birthday, you got one present. When you had Christmas, you got one present. You didn't get all these presents every, you know, your birthday didn't go for a month. And, mate, <laughs> you know, there's a softness that comes with that. And, I'm, and, and you know, an ex- expectation. I get, get, get. So I wanted to explain to them that giving, you've got to give, give, give. And it's something that I've arrived at, you know, late, you know, and um, or lately. Um, and and so I've been taking the kids in once a month to, to Chris and help hand out the, the clothing and, and just to, you know, just to, to show that, you know what, you're so fortunate and just be grateful for how fortunate you are. Um, so anyway, first week, I, first last month I went in with my eldest bloke, Austin. Last week I went in with my middle child, River. And it can be a little bit confronting, right? There's people on the street and, you know, um, they've all had their, their own issues and, and have, have, you know, worked through them or working through them and, um, Anyway, so I'm sort of trying to prepare, prepare my nine-year-old. He's a sensitive little fella and um, prepare my nine-year-old for about what he's going to see and who he's going to meet. And, um, and I said, you know, these people, Riv, they've, they've just been a little knocked off centre for whatever reason. And often it's not their fault. And sometimes it is, but, you know, they're, they're people and, and we've got to treat them with respect and um, they'll treat you with respect. And, you know, they're, they're, there's, you know, you, you might see some roughness about them and there's a, there's a, you know, they, they might look a little rough to you, Riv. And, um, you know, and he said, Dad, these rough people that we see in there, uh, the, the rough looking people, will you be one of them? You <laughs> 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 <She's> little smart ass. <laughs> oh, that's gold, mate. But, but, you know, that sort of thing, you're like, oh, mate, they come out with this stuff and you just think, where on earth did that come from? But, yeah, so that, that's, what, that's what I like doing. Jimmy, I know, I know you've got a love for sport just quickly and uh, you must have, and you love your cricket. You must have enjoyed uh, the Aussies winning the T20 the other night. Awesome, Brownie. Awesome. Um, following it, you know, pretty closely as well. And then obviously you talk about it the next day and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're these superstars, right? They, you could argue they're the biggest stars in Australian sport, the, the cricketers. They've, you know, they're paid heaps of money. They're on free to wear for half the year and, um, you know they deserve it. They they they're, they're playing this sport that that creates so much joy for so many people around the globe, and um, they haven't had that success. And uh, for them to go over there and do that um, and do it, you know, Mitch Marsh is a great story. You know, the, the people that I know from the Australian mm. cricket side, they just say Mitch Marsh is just the best teammate you could ever have. Like he's just there for everyone, encouraging. Um, everyone loves him. Everyone wants him to succeed. He hadn't been succeeding, um, but then they, they give him a defined role. Mate, you're going to bat three, and we're going to back you to be the, the one that gets it done for us. And he does. He gets it done oh. in the final. You know, that's... Good, was yeah, he that's my, his, his knock in the final was one of the greatest knocks of all time. And and I've been going on a cricket show talking about the T20, and I actually was sticking up for the Aussies. This is, this is early on, and I said, look, this Aussie team's full of talent. They could do anything, and I sort of got shot down for that. And I also... Yeah. And I also stuck up for David Warner and I'm, we're mates with his, one of his good mates, Trent Griffo at work. And he stuck up for him as well and said, look, he's had a bit of a rough trot in the IPL and he'll be right. And he came out and went good too. So it was really satisfying to see that 
It was, it was a real Aussie win, wasn't it? We were we were no hope. We were given no hope to win it, and we come out and we brained them in the final. Yeah, Sixteen to one, they were. Sixteen to one before the tournament. You getting any of that, Jimmy, or maybe? No, me either. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I no, 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 no. I backed India at two dollars ninety, and they didn't even make the semis. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, the um, yeah. the Matraville Mauler, hey, Davy Warner. Yeah. It's uh, Matto yeah. Mauler. Yeah. I'm at Matraville right now, mate. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like Davey is um. He's a Rooster supporter, so that's a that's a, yeah, a bit is. of a problem. His wife's a rabbit, huh? Candace, oh, yeah. Candace is a rabbit, Candy. strong rabbit. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but Davey, um, you know, pe- speaking to people who are inside that IPL situation where he, he wasn't getting a game, um, we don't know the truth there, unfortunately, and it had nothing to do with David's ability as a cricketer or or how he was hitting the ball. So, um, yeah. Hey, you know what? You, 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 when you were going, ask me that question, Brownie. I thought you were going to ask me about Coach Potter. Um, and I know he's passed away, and I know we're going to catch up for a beer with him for, for him in a couple of weeks. Um, just an ever-present, whenever you went to South Sydney, right, or South Sydney functions. And he and I used to love to talk cricket. We, You know, he'd have these great memories of cricketers. And, mate, he'd send me press clippings in, in newspapers about, oh, this test cricketer and this test cricketer. And... Um, yeah. You know, just one of those. Uh, again, it's like you know, there, there's there's Coach Potter and there's me, and we're um, bonding over a, a, a love of a sport. You know, it's it's not unusual, right? Yeah, it's quite it's quite similar to you, uh, Jimmy. He loved his sport, including boxing. He, he was a, an avid boxer supporter and very technical type of bloke. And uh, yeah, cricket is just another one of those sports that he used to love to talk about. Well, can we ask yeah. you? Can we ask you about the Tim Zhu fight last night? I mean, you know, you're a sports commentator, so we might as well just finish with that. And I thought it was quite impressive. We we're driving in from work, and someone said to me, "Oh, once he gets to the US, he's going to get battered." I said, oh, "I don't know about that. I don't know if, if, if he's a tough man and he's very technical. Maybe he's just lacking that knockout punch." But how do you see his future in the US? I reckon um, what we've learnt, certainly I've learnt, and I, I, you know, you, you sort of back the individual. So I don't think there's any doubt that the skill's there. Um, the speed is there. Maybe there's a question mark about the knockout punch, but let's not take away from the toughness of Takeshi in a way. Um, mm. and, and, and like I've spoken to him a couple of times on the radio, the intensity and the focus that his father was famous for, he has. Mm. Um, and, and I don't know whether he's... Like to be... Zoo, you almost have to be a little bit sociopathic. You almost have to be all about yourself and nothing else to be to be the great champion that Costa was. I don't know whether Tim has that, but if he does have it, he shields it well because he's really personable. Um, he's a very humble champion, but he's very confident, um, and it, it, it just gets you just get the sense that he's got that intensity of preparation that his father had, and, and if that's the case. Um, you know, at that well, at you know, super welterweight, um, not having the knockout punch, mate, the, the speed that he has um, and the belief that he has, I think, is the thing that's going to take him a long way. I, you know, I, I don't know boxing as well as you guys, but I, I, it's a sport that I love. Um, and, but I, I look at that and I think uh, he has all the attributes to become a world champion. And other people that I speak to and other people that get in contact with the program, they, they'll say, hey, no, no, this this guy, all the other guys, yeah, they're, they're good boxers. You know, Jason Maloney and Andrew Maloney, they're, they're, they're incredible. But Tim Zhu has that world-class 
um, abilities. And and yeah, I, I, we're going to see that on the on the world stage very shortly. Well, well, he's got the time in the ring now, Jim. He's twenty and oh, he's um he sort of got better as he's as he's gone on in his career, which happens most of the time. But I think there was one fight in the SCG where I think he, he had a bit of a, a war of words with the opponent, and he tried to go for the early knockout, and it didn't happen. And then when he settled down about round three or four into his into his rhythm, he ended up wearing the bloke down and got over the top of him last night, showed all the patience in the world, went back to that technical ability mm. and had the belief that he'd be able to get out the way and not knock up a, a knockout punch from this young, strong Japanese opponent, mate. So uh, I think he'll go a long way in the sport. And it's a great story, right? If, you know, talk about stories. Um, you know, US boxing promoters, once they get their hands on him, what? He's a second generation uh, mm. going for a world title. Oh, yeah, we can build a story around that. Yeah, well, that's right. And he said last night he spoke really well and he showed that determination. It was great to see him talking after after the bout on main event. And someone said to him, oh, your dad lost his 20th bout. So you've done one better than him. He said, my dad was the undisputed world champion. I haven't done that yet. So I'm not there yet. So he, he, like I said, he's very humble. We won't take yeah, up too and, much and, more of your time, Jimmy. I think we've... we've, we've, we've... We've taken off about an hour of your time there, mate. You'll be late. You'll be late for your time slot one or three, mate. On eleven seventy SEN. Well, actually, I'm actually. Um, uh, Charlie Kane's got a funeral, unfortunately, uh, today that he's at. So I'm I'm filling in with Fletch. So if I'm going to be late for anything, I'm going to be late for our production meeting that we're having at a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, for us. He's, he's been on the show and now you have as well. And it was a great interview. Thanks for joining us on Rabbitohs TV, Jimmy Smith. Legend, hey, mate. Boys, thank, thank you very much for having me. Um, love what you're doing and all the very best. Good on you, Jimmy. Yeah, Ben. Thanks, Jimmy. Legend, mate. Thanks, boys. What well, a legend, boys. Legend. We can see why... He, He's uh, like I said, I always thought he was brilliant on the radio. And they've got Michael Clark and someone else on the big sports breakfast now. And I'm not as big a fan as that. But yeah, so he was destined to be a good presenter and well spoken and good bloke. And, and even though he played for the Evil Empire, we won't hold that against him. Like you just said, Mavo, he, he was destined. I got to know Jimmy, uh, like we discussed uh, only a short time ago in the UK, where he came over and played. Uh, with us at Salford, um, loved his sport. Was always talking about all the sport that was going on, um, you know, around the globe, whether it be cricket, NFL, uh, soccer. He was always on top of it. And uh, it just shows now he's, got, he's a, a knowledgeable person in uh, sport all around the country. They're being a cooter boy. They, they claimed Don Bradman. I think Don Bradman lived there at one stage. So yeah. between them and Barrow, there's a bit of a tug of war of who owns him and all that, but yep. where he came from. but. It's a great sporting town, Kudamundra, and I recommend anyone go out there and have a look.